Yeah, Kimberly Dowdell is doing just fine. Thank you, Mary J. Blige. She's doing just fine because she is about to become the president of the AIA in just a few weeks. She will be the first black woman in the 166-year history of the American Institute of Architects to fill that coveted post. Architecture, as you well know, is still among the most overwhelmingly white and male professions in all of America. So Kimberly Dowdell's ascent to the presidency of this esteemed organization is a huge deal, and I am honored to have her on this program for the hour to celebrate her. Uh, Kimberly Dowdell, congratulations. What a delight to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Mr. Smiley. It's it's a delight to be here. Really excited about uh, next month and starting in this role, but also to, to speak with you about it uh, among the, the first to kind of really have an in-depth conversation on what this means and, and what we hope the future looks like. No, I, I am excited about it. Um, Kimberly was, was sharing with me earlier a story that uh, you, you get to be my age, uh, and I started when I was 12, but in my 50s, <laughs> in my 50s now, you hear these stories and, and they, make you feel, they make you feel a little old. So go, go ahead, Kimberly, tell your story. Make me feel old. Go ahead and tell it. Okay. Well, thank you for, for giving me the, the opportunity to, to share something that happened about 20 years ago when I was just a teenager. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm a native Detroiter. And uh, Mr. Smiley, you, you hosted a program, I, I believe it's called Youth to Leaders. And I, yeah, I don't remember all the details, but I remember showing up and, and meeting you very briefly and just being inspired by the programming that, that your team had put together. And so it's kind of a, a bit of a full circle moment uh, all these years later to, to be talking to you about uh, embarking upon this journey as, as AIA president. So, no. uh, so thank you for doing that many, many moons ago. No, let me, I, my, I am, uh, I'm almost in tears and my mother's listening back in Indiana and I'm sure she's in tears as well. Um, I say all the time on this program and beyond that in life, we never know what we're, what people are receiving. All we know is what we're giving. So you give everything, you give right. your best. All you know is what you're giving. You never know what people are receiving. And it, 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 it just moves me. Uh, I get goosebumps uh, over the course of my career uh, when I get met with people uh, who have stories uh, from years ago uh, of things that I tried to do to enlighten, to encourage and to empower, to love and serve our people. Uh, And then you end up discovering as as she is about to become the the president of this historic organization that she came to one of your one of your youth leadership development camps in Detroit 20 plus years ago. Uh, it's, um, it, 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 again, it reminds us, um, that every one of us has to assign ourselves to do something for this next generation. And I, I, of course, take no responsibility. <laughs> There's nothing I can, uh, take credit for with regard to her ascent to be the president of this organization. But just to know that she and I were in the same room together 20 plus years ago. And here I am now having the opportunity to, to converse with her in a conversation about this historic achievement. Uh, just, uh, again, it gives me goosebumps. So I, I, I am even more uh, delighted, uh, to celebrate her. And I, I, I um, love the fact that my foundation uh, for so many years has worked with young people to develop their youth leadership training skills. And you're right, the organization is called Youth to Leaders. And for those who hear me say all the time um, about leadership, the following, this is the mantra that we teach every young person, have taught for years, every young person that comes through our foundation. Uh, this is our definition of leadership. You can't lead folk if you don't love folk, and you can't save folk if you don't serve folk. You can't lead people if you don't love people. You can't save people if you don't serve people. So the leadership is ultimately about loving and serving people. And that is what we try to impart 
that these young people have by the thousands over many, many years. And just thrilled to know that Kimberly Dowdell was in the room as we uh, brought this program to the city of Detroit. Uh, so thank you for sharing that story. Uh, and what a great honor Absolutely. again. Uh, what thank a great honor, uh, What a great honor to, to talk to you. Let, let me just start with this. I'll start big and then we'll narrow as we move through the hour. I want to hear your backstory. Um, I want to share, okay. share a story with you about how I fell in love with architecture uh, because of a guy named Walter Blackburn, whose son was my college roommate at Indiana University. I want to tell you my story about Paul Williams. Okay. Uh, if you walk in my office right now, you will see a big Paul Williams book sitting on my desk uh, in my office. Awesome. So I'm, I'm a lover of architecture. I started, I literally, because of my college roommate, subscribed to Architectural Digest when I was just a college student. And all these years, oh, I, wow. I still read AD because I just got turned on to architecture by being close to my, my college roommate, Kai, and his father, who was a brilliant uh, African-American architect who designed, as a matter of fact, the Underground Railroad, uh, the, the Freedom Museum in Cincinnati. He was the architect oh, wow. uh, who okay. designed that facility. So I, I have I have a love for architecture, but I'm fascinated uh, to hear more about your backstory. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at my clock. Let me do this. If I if I ask you this question now, you'll have 30 seconds to respond. That won't be fair to you. So when we come forward, we will in earnest commence our conversation with the incoming president of the AIA, Kimberly Dowdell on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Kimberly Dowdell, who is the incoming president of the American Institute of Architects, uh, organization been around for 166 plus years. And finally, they will have a black woman leading this organization. And before we get into that part uh, of the story and how that came to be, um, Kimberly, t- just take a moment. Uh, we got an hour here, uh, uh, 45 minutes at least, 47 minutes left. Um, tell me about your, tell me about your backstory. You mentioned Detroit. Uh, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of, of the backstory of Kimberly Dowdell, and then we'll work our way up to how you got into the the architecture frame, if I can put it that way. Yeah, no, uh, happy happy to share the backstory. It all started in, in Detroit. Um, as an 11-year-old, I decided that I wanted to become an architect. Prior to that age, I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to uh, to help people. Uh, and I was inspired by my grandmother, uh, who's with the ancestors now, but her name was uh, Nina Dowdell, and she volunteered at the Children's Hospital of Michigan. So kind of very early on, I was exposed to you know, kind of health as, as a way of, of giving back and of service. And, you know, to your point about leadership and love and, and service, uh, that was instilled upon me uh, very early on. So I wanted to be a doctor, but um, in Detroit, and this was the early 90s, mm-hmm. a lot of the buildings around, uh, around, you know, where I grew up and where I traveled throughout the city were starting to get boarded up and in some cases, uh, you know, torn down. And, you know, I, I could really feel the sort of, let's call it, overall health of, of the communities that I, uh, you know, got to experience in Detroit start to decline. And I was in an art class uh, in, in middle school when I learned what an architect was. And I sort of made the connection between, you know, being an architect, you know, growing up to become an architect and actually helping to heal communities by improving the building. So there was a very specific building in downtown Detroit at the time called the Hudson's Department Store. Oh, yeah. Uh, it actually closed. Okay, yeah. So I think a lot of people are familiar. It's a, you know, it's a um, sort of iconic name here in Detroit. And it, the building, the, the main one that was uh, in downtown, closed the year that I was born. So I never actually experienced it as a place of commerce. But it was just, this, I mean, it was a whole city block. And, you know, just growing up, it was boarded up and, graffiti and you know people were um you know who were kind of around the building uh you know were, were probably unhoused and you know it just felt it was sort of a a symptom of a, of a larger set of issues so i sort of 
said, let me become an architect so I can fix this building and, and other buildings and help it to heal the people. Now, the Hudson's Department Store in downtown Detroit was actually demolished when I was in high school, so I did not get to work on that. But, you know, I'm actually really pleased all these decades later to see Detroit uh, making a pretty significant turnaround. But um, but anyway, back back to, to sort of how I got on this path. So uh, I went to, um, I got a scholarship to, so I come from very humble beginnings uh, in Detroit, uh, and I got a scholarship to go to boarding school at Cranbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Cranbrook is a school that um, that has a very, you know, serious focus on the arts and, and other things, but I was especially attracted to the architecture of the, of the campus and the availability of art classes so I could put together my portfolio, and then I eventually uh, went off to Cornell to study architecture. Um, and so that's when my horizons expanded even more. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been on this path since, uh, I guess, 19, 1994, and I'm, I'm just really excited to be, uh, you know, stepping into this role with the, with the AIA. I, I've actually lived in seven different cities um, over the course of my life, Detroit obviously being the beginning, but then Ithaca, New York. I studied abroad in Rome. I lived in Washington, D.C., New York City, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. When I got my master's in public administration at Harvard, I was a Sheila C. Johnson fellow there, which mm-hmm. was uh, which was a, a beautiful experience. In fact, I just saw Ms. Johnson the other day in Chicago on her book tour. So for those of you who want to check out her book, uh, Walk Through Fire, please do that. It's amazing. Um, and then I came back to Detroit, actually. I worked in city government, taught at University of Michigan, uh, and then I actually returned to a firm that I worked for earlier in my career, a firm called HOK, uh, so that I could work on large-scale projects that are having an impact on, on communities. So um, some of the projects HOK is known for uh, that most people probably have heard of are the, you know, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta and LaGuardia Terminal B's expansion. So airports, hospitals, schools, all, you know, all kinds of... Um, all kinds of large-scale projects, which is the, the scale that I like to work at. In fact, my very first project at HOK was uh, was an airport uh, in Doha. So, um, so those are the things that I kind of do for my my day job. Right. Um, but my my volunteer role really started um, with NOMA, which is the National Organization of Minority Architects, founded in 1971. I joined as a student back in 2004 for the student design competition and was invited to join the national board right after I graduated. So that's why I really got to. Um, grow as a as a leader, uh, you know, at the, at the national level for architecture, and then I was uh, I was encouraged to run for president of NOMA in 2019. Well, actually, it was a few years before that, but I actually served as president in 2019 and 2020. And during that time, um, you know, I really wanted to be intentional about um, the messaging of of what not just what NOMA did, but what architects did, and and how you know how do we you know increase our membership, help, um, help to build the pipeline of people coming into the profession. Uh, there actually, to this day, there's only 2,532 black architects in the United States. Um, there's a total of 120,000 approximately in the, in the U S it's actually not that large of a profession. There are more attorneys just in the the state of California Mm. than there are architects. But of that number, you know, just over 2,500 are black. And of that number, only 593 are black women. And uh, about 10 years ago, when I became a licensed architect, I was number 295. And we all know our number because there's so few of us, and, and we <laughs> kind of all all know each other. Yeah. So so, so uh, I, I did a pretty good job as, as president of NOMA, um, nearly tripled our membership. And, 
you know, really kind of uh, raised the organization's profile. And I, I think the folks at, at AI took notice, and I've been an AI member since the beginning of my career as well. I just really took more of a leadership role with NOMA throughout my uh, career. So um, the, some of the mentors and, and, and other folks around AI that I've had said, you really need to run. Uh, in uh, late 2021, and I decided to, to go ahead and do that in early 22, uh, and the election results were in my favor. Uh, so June 22 is when I was elected, and I've had the last year and a half to kind of ramp up to what we'll be celebrating next month uh, as my inauguration as the 100th president uh, of the AIA. Wow. So I'm um, just, yeah, really, really excited about this opportunity, and not just to be you know, um, a figurehead for, you know, for my race and gender, but actually to, to make some progress, you yeah. know, and, and to, uh, to inspire people. In fact, I got a, a letter from a young lady, a second year student at an HBCU. She said, because you won, I feel like my dreams are possible. And that's when it really mm. became, I mean, it was already real to me, but that, that sure. really grounded it that, you know, it's, I, I represent something so much bigger than myself. Yeah. Um, I did not want to interrupt. Uh, didn't want to interrupt because I wanted you to get that out, and, and I asked the question about the backstory, so I wanted to, the audience to hear, uh, and I wanted to learn even more about your backstory. And there are a few things I learned there that I didn't even know in my preparation for this conversation. Um, so he, there, there you have it. Uh, Kimberly Dowdell is not just the first black woman to lead AIA, but she is the 100th president of AIA. So all these great numbers are bouncing around today. One, 100. Uh, uh, what'd you say? 239 was your number? You, you, you said 239 is your 295. 295, 295, 295. So all yeah. these numbers I got floating in my head right now. Um, yeah. a, a couple of things, a couple of things I want to go back and unpack right quick. Um, she mentioned, uh, Kimberly did, um, Sheila G, uh, C, Sheila C. Johnson's book. I know Miss Johnson. Well, many of you know, I started my career on television at BET many years ago. Uh, and, uh, she of course, uh, was the wife then of Bob Johnson. They founded BET and her book really is a fascinating, fascinating read. Uh, I'm going to try to get her on the program here when I can find a date, um, that works for both of us. Uh, but it's a fascinating story of all that she did to help build that network. And she's done so much other great work since then as a philanthropist. Uh, so speaking again of powerful black women, this show today is all about powerful black women, Julianne Malvo, Kimberly Dowdell, uh, Nikki Giovanni in our final hour today. Uh, but that book uh, from Sheila uh, Johnson, I, I highly recommend, as Kimberly did a moment ago. I just wanted to put a pin on that, uh, put a final point on that, rather. That 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 said, um, there, there's so many things you said that I want to sort of sort of sort of pick apart, if I can. One, um, you said you lived in you lived in seven cities, and I'm just curious. I'm just I'm, I'm actually messing with you, but I'm just curious about this as well. Which is of the seven cities that you mentioned that you've lived in. Which one had architecture that you found most stunning? The architecture of the city you found most stunning oh, in what city? That's a dangerous question. I know. That's why I asked it. That's why I asked it. So, <laughs> so actually, I, I may have missed, uh, as I was going through my list, I may have missed a key city, which is Chicago, which yes. is actually where I live right now. Okay. Um, you know, New York and Chicago, are they take architecture very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, I studied abroad in Rome, and that, I mean, that's like a whole different um, situation because, I mean, it's, it's, we're talking about antiquity and design. So that, I mean, it, that, that's kind of off to the side, but in terms of the U S context, um, you know, I think, I think Chicago takes architecture super, super seriously. Uh, New York obviously has, has really, really amazing architecture. So, so I would, I would put those two at the top of my so list. What's, 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 um, they're, what, they're both wonderful cities. What's funny about that is that, uh, that we agree in that regard. And I've said this, I'm not saying it now just because you said it, but my friends know I've had this conversation many times. 
for years I have maintained, and and I'm 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 sometimes the, the lonely person in this conversation, uh, the odd man out as it were, the outlier. But I for years have maintained that the Chicago skyline. I find much more fascinating than the New York skyline. And New York is a beautiful skyline. But when it comes to just pure architecture, and you stand back and look at that thing. The Chicago skyline mm-hmm. to me is 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 infinitely more intriguing to me than the New York skyline. Now, not trying to get you in trouble, but would you argue me on that point? You know, I, I, I think um, they're they're both beautiful in their own unique ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get in trouble on that one. Yeah, she's Actually, not taking my, the bait. My initial licensure, my initial licensure was was in New York, or is in New York State, right? Uh, so I, you know, I, I definitely and I, also I spent like uh, probably the majority of my professional career uh, in in New York. Um, so great city, great yeah. energy, very dynamic. Chicago, also amazing. I mean, also just the, the asset of having Lake Michigan right there is, mm-hmm. is a super, super unique um, element. So just, just I, I celebrate architecture in, in both cities. Um, they, they both take it seriously. But, you know, I think, I think you're right. Chicago did innovate on a, on a lot of different fronts, yeah. um, especially with the, sky, the first skyscraper. Yep. Um, I, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a big deal. So. Yep. Uh, shout out to Chicago and in New York. Fair enough. Uh, you're the president of the AIA, yeah. so I, I don't want to get you in any trouble. Uh, so so I'll, 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 I'll let I'll let that go. Um, let me let me ask the, the, the you know the penultimate question. Um, and you knew this was coming. Um, you mentioned those numbers. Uh, Two thousand five hundred thirty, as I recall. Uh, five hundred ninety-three women. Your number two ninety-five uh, as a black woman. Um, why even to this day are there so few African Americans in your chosen field of architecture? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is not having a lot of awareness around what architecture is or what architects do. Um, I was very fortunate in that, you know, I, I took an art class in middle school where I learned what an architect did. In fact, I'll just tell a short story on that. Um, our art teacher gave us all uh, a shoebox and said to make, um, you know, make a, an apartment or, you know, make some kind of space, like a little model. And so I took little carpet samples and blocks and you know, made the space. And that's what, that's what sort of introduced me to the power of design. Like I can decide I want this to go here and that to go here. And that's, you know, that's how this will, you know, that's how this will work. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was an empowering moment. And because of that, um, you know, that's what I, that's how I made the connection between, you know, that small scale project to, uh, you know, eventually hopefully revitalizing the Hudson's apartment store, which didn't come, come to fruition. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, um, arts uh, and education. Um, as you probably know, a lot of schools have uh, taken out funding for the arts. And so I think particularly in, in black communities, it's important that we make sure uh, that, that people, young people are exposed to it. And that, that's actually, uh, that's the reason why I'm not just a board member, but board chair for an organization in Chicago called Ingenuity, uh, which works to ensure that all Chicago public school students have access to a high quality arts education. So, so but back to the, the answer, um, not even knowing what an architect is, is, is a barrier, right? And mm-hmm. so um, to, in order to apply to architecture school, you have to have a portfolio. And so if you are, a, let's say even you're a senior in high school and you find out what architecture is about and you start to apply, you know, you, you have a lot of work to do to make up for, you know, probably the last few years that you maybe weren't taking art classes and, and creating content for your portfolio, so then, so that's another barrier. And then once you get in, you know, it's, it's actually one of the more expensive things to mm-hmm. study. It's, it's five, six, or seven years of education. Plus, you have to have the materials to build the models, and you have to have the best of technology to run, 
you know, all the, the different software programs that are, are, are necessary. And so to some extent, it's a, it's a profession of privilege. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I come from humble beginnings, but I was very resourceful when it came to getting scholarships and, and raising funds to, to support, you know, what I needed to do. But, not, you know, not everyone is, is going to have, uh, you know, have that ability. So I think that's another thing that, that's a factor. And then another piece is, and a lot of people don't know this, but the average salary of an architect is not nearly what I think it should be or, um, you know, what I think a lot of people would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's around, I think, for for a licensed architect right now in the U.S., the, the average starting salary is around 89, or not starting salary, the average salary is around 89000 And then for starting salaries, it's in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the expense of the education and then, you know, what one might look at making um, when they're coming out of school and then even years later, once they get their license, it, it just becomes less attractive from a financial standpoint. Yeah. So you have to, you know, have some privilege and also just have a lot of passion. And also, I mean, you, you have to have the ability to draw and to, um, you know, be creative. And, and there, there's definitely some math involved. You know, it's, it's a somewhat unique profile of a person who, um, you know, can successfully pursue architecture. But I, I think that it could be a wider pool of people if we were more intentional about building that pipeline. In fact, NOMA, the, the organization I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. created a, a program called NOMA Project Pipeline. In fact, I'm, I'm wearing a NOMA Project Pipeline t-shirt uh, right <laughs> now. Um, and basically, it's, it's a, it was founded in 2005 in an effort to expose middle school and high school students to architecture so they could see architects who look like them, understand that it's a, you know, a viable profession, and, um, and get resources yeah. to understand how to apply and, and how to be successful. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to do with AIA is actually help find ways, and I, I realize I probably can't accomplish this in, in just one year, so hopefully it kind of plants the seeds for, for future development, but finding ways to improve business models for uh, architecture firms so that we can actually improve uh, you know, th- those, yeah. those outcomes relative to salary. When we come forward, uh, I, I want to come to this issue that you raised a moment ago, and I love this phrase, the power of design. I am curious as a as an architect and as a black woman, uh, no less, um, how you see the power of design. What is the power of design? Um, that, that, that statement resonates with me, again, because I'm a fan of architecture, but what, to your mind, is the power of design? I mentioned Walter Blackburn earlier, who was the father of my college roommate, Kai Blackburn, brilliant architect who built the Freedom Center. Uh, designed it in in Cincinnati and a number of other things in his career. Uh, but we'll talk about uh, Paul Williams when we come forward, Paul Revere Williams, to be exact, the brilliant black architect. We'll talk about Frank Gehry, an uh, interesting story I want to share with Kimberly Dowdell about Frank Gehry, who's a personal friend of mine, uh, and uh, some other stuff I want to cover as we celebrate in this hour the first black woman uh, to ascend to the presidency of the American Institute of Architects, AIA. Her name is Kimberly Dowdell. You're listening to her right now on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. We will talk to Nikki Giovanni in our third and final hour today, but we continue our conversation now. Speaking of uh, brilliant black women, uh, accomplished black women, we continue our dialogue now with Kimberly Dowdell, who is about to become the first 
uh, black woman to be the president of the AIA, the American Institute of Architects. That's high cotton, as we say around here. And we are celebrating her in this hour, learning more about her backstory and what she intends to do uh, in this uh, coveted position as the first black woman to lead the AIA. So, um, Kimberly, I was saying earlier, if you walk in my office on the coffee table near my desk, uh, the first thing you see is a book uh, uh, that uh, focuses on the brilliant work of Paul Revere Williams, uh, the brilliant black architect uh, who, of course, known in this city and indeed around the nation, around the world. Uh, and uh, you think of all the things that Paul Revere Williams built uh, in this city that people have frequented for years. His involvement with the spider, uh, that's that piece of artwork at the center of the airport yeah, at LAX absolutely. with the restaurant iconic. on top. Iconic. You think about the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Paul Williams did that. And I love telling this story for those who don't know. Of course, you know this. But Paul Revere Williams um, was such a such an amazing architect uh, back in the day. Uh, uh, when segregation was alive, even in this city of Los Angeles, this radio program is heard across the nation, but we're flagship here in L.A. By the way, uh, Kimberly, you'll be fascinated to know that this studio is just about a mile and a half down the street from the home that Paul Revere Williams built and lived in. That's how close the studio oh, wow. is right now where I sit to the home of Paul Williams. Um, but Paul Williams was so accomplished uh, back in the day that everybody in this city, all the rich white people in Beverly Hills and Homeby Hills and beyond, everybody wanted to have Paul Williams design a home for them. But nobody wanted to get too close to this black man. True story. Paul Revere mm -hmm. Williams. Paul Revere Williams had to sit across the table. Uh, when discussing his design plans for his white clients, he couldn't sit next to them. He had to sit across the table from them, and he uh, became so adept at his craft that he learned to draw upside down. He learned and to that draw. That is not an easy thing. He learned to draw upside down. Uh, and in so doing, built homes all over this city. And today, as you know, there is a premium on Paul Revere Williams Homes. I tried to buy one years ago in my neck of the woods, Hancock Park, where I lived for a couple of decades, and I couldn't get one, but I bought a house right next to a Paul Williams house. <laughs> that was as close as All I right. could get. But everybody uh, in this town, I mean, his, his homes go for uh, outrageous sums because all these years later, he's now respected and regarded. But when you hear that story that you already know, that this black man uh, had to learn to draw upside down to be uh, the regarded Williams that he is today, that story strikes you how all these years later? I mean, it, it's amazing because, uh, you know, first of all, drawing upside down is really hard. Um, you know, draw, just drawing just straight on is not necessarily the easiest thing. So, like I mentioned, it's, it's a lot to be an architect, but then to have to go through these extra steps as a, as a black person, you know, 100 years ago. In fact, um, I'm pleased to report that um, Paul Revere Williams was actually the first black member of the AIA mm -hmm. in 1923. So 100 mm -hmm. years ago is when Mr. Williams became an AIA member. So I'm really happy, um, you know, that we're, we're able to celebrate. And to put a final point on that, he became a member 100 years ago, the first black member. And the Correct. first and the first black woman to be president of that organization is their 100th president. I'm just trying to connect yeah. these dots here. Poetic. Yes. It's poetic. There fact, you go. Speaking of numbers, speaking of numbers, um, so there, So I'm actually the, the third black person. So there are two, uh, two black men. Um, Mr. Marshall Purnell was the first AIA president who was black in 2008. And then Mr. William Bates, or Bill Bates, uh, he was president in uh, 2019. When I, while I was president of NOMAS, we got to work together for that year. And it was wonderful just, you know, learning from them. And, and so I, I like to say I stand on the shoulders of giants. Also, I'm the seventh woman 
Uh, the very first woman was uh, a woman by the name of Susan Maxman in 1992, uh, which also was not really that long ago for mm-hmm. uh, you know for the for the institute to have its first woman. And and totally um, separate from the AI conversation, but my line number is number seven. So so I, I, you know there's some going uh, going 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 and shout out to sorority. Shout it out. Um, that would be the uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So I, just, I just wanted to, to share all, all these connections uh, that yeah. that I think are quite poetic. Uh, so. we, we we love the AKs. I ain't mad at you. Yeah. Uh, let me let me let, let me a- let me ask you um, how it is to uh, navigate a profession that is so white and male. And I I know something of this. Uh, because uh, talk radio is, uh, uh, I, I call it a conservative citadel. Uh, what we're doing here uh, and across the country is uniquely different because it is a white male dominated field. This ain't the first field I've been in uh, throughout my career that is white male dominated. But uh, to your point, uh, first woman doesn't show up to 92, uh, first black man uh, a few years after that. I mean, so my point is that this is still an overwhelmingly white male field. How has a, how do black people, black women, no less, navigate that sort of terrain, that kind of territory? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's certainly a challenge, which is why the numbers look like what they do. Um, but I would say that I've been very fortunate in that I was connected to uh, to Noma very early on as a student, and then also the, the resources of the of the AIA. And you know, like with many things, the more you put into you know your professional organizations, generally, the more you get out of it. And so I mm-hmm. invested a lot in Noma, especially um, you know, but also having membership in, in in AIA throughout my career has helped me. Um, to just have access to information, know how to navigate the licensure process, which is quite uh, quite intense, um, and I mean just the, the power of mentorship and, mm-hmm. and sponsorship. So, um, so at my firm uh, HOK, I've had uh, you know, some really great mentors, but also uh, one sponsor in particular mm-hmm. um, who just made sure that I, I kind of got what I got what I needed as a you know as an employee and, and now a shareholder with the company, like. You know, it's it's important to have those those champions, and they may not look like you. Yeah. But you know, you've, you've got to be open to asking for help, or you know, be open to to receiving help when someone you know sees something in you and they they want to help you. Yeah. So, you know, have those conversations, figure out how to navigate, um, you know, the the corporate world. And you know, I would say I work for a large firm, but I, you know, I've also um, you know have experience with. Um, you know, being a, a an owner of a small firm and, and navigating some of those challenges, and I have many friends who own small design firms, um, and and there are real challenges there with gaining, uh, you know, access to certain contracts, and that's actually one of the things that we were working on. Well, they're they're still working on it at Noma. I'm just no longer on the board, but um, you know, finding ways to to help small business owners, uh, protect in particular black business owners of architecture firms get access to, um, you know, to the clientele that will yeah. help their, you know, their businesses excel to the next level. And even at my firm, HOK, we created a program called HOK Tapestry to help us work with, um, with smaller firms and, and help to kind of get their, yeah. um, you know, get their businesses, uh, more support. So, so, to, you know, to kind of further answer your question, I think it's, it's definitely a challenge to one, get into the profession and, and navigate, um, you know, some of the challenges of, of getting work and, and remaining profitable. 
But um, you, you've got to really lean on your network. I think yeah. that's one of the most critical things. Speaking of leaning on your network, this is a story I've never told publicly, uh, and I'm only doing it now because I'm talking to Kimberly Dowdell, who's a history maker herself. Um, but I mentioned earlier that I've had the honor over the course of my career to become personal friends with the, the brilliant architect Frank Gehry, who, of course, is based here. Uh, in L.A., Santa Monica to be exact. Everybody knows Frank Gehry. He designed Disney Hall in Los Angeles. He designed Bilbao, uh, the Guggenheim, um, and so many other great projects. Everybody knows um, Frank Gehry, who may be regarded at the moment as the world's greatest living architect. Uh, one could debate that, but I think Frank Gehry would certainly be on the short list, uh, if not at the top of the list. Um, and so I've, I've interviewed Frank Gehry any number of times over the years. We became friends. I, I love going to his office every so often. Uh, Kimberly, I'll just call him every now and then go to his office just to look at the models. I just love walking around yeah. to look at the models uh, that are in his office of the things that he's working on. And uh, speaking of your network helping you out, um, again, this this program is, is, is heard across the nation in syndication, but I'm based in L.A. Uh, and when I went uh, out a couple of years ago to buy this radio station in L.A. and to build this black-owned uh, talk radio network that we're building every day, uh, a number of my friends stepped up uh, and contributed money to help me get this thing off the ground. And I am pleased to say that Frank Gehry wrote a very sizable check as a gift to help me get this station off the ground in L.A. So talk about leading into your network. Um, I share that yeah. story. I never shared it before, but uh, Frank Gehry was one of the persons who helped me get this thing off the ground here in L.A. And I am deeply indebted to the brilliant architect, Frank Gehry. When we come forward, more of our conversation with the new president of AIA, Kimberly Dowdell on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth, the truth. Speaking, Speaking the truth. The truth. This, this is the Tavis is the Smiley, Smiley Show. Smiley show. Sounds different, huh? This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Kimberly Dowdell, the new president of the American Institute of Architects, the AIA, first black woman to be so honored. Uh, I should say they are so honored to have her uh, as their incoming president uh, uh, in just a few weeks from now. Watching my time is getting tight on me. Let me ask. Let me kind of weave two things together. You talked earlier about use this phrase, the power of design. Uh, as an architect, as a black woman architect, what to your mind is the power of design, uh, number one. I ask that in part because here in L.A. and other places I've traveled around the country, we have a bad habit of just tearing stuff down. I- I'm not sure that we really believe in, in in celebrating some of these iconic structures that have, in fact, been built. And people have to fight like the devil to get certain things declared, you know, local monuments or, or preserved. So I'm, I'm not sure that we appreciate stuff the way they do in a place like Rome where you once lived. So to your mind, what is the power of design. And then later I want to ask you how AI, speaking of AIA, how AI is going to impact the work of the AIA and architects in the years to come. But that first question, what is the power of design as you see it? So so I'm totally going to answer the question. I did want to say um, congratulations to you on being a trailblazer. I'm glad that Frank Gary, you know, wrote a significant check to, to help, uh, to help you get where you are. And I just want to celebrate you for a second. Thank you. Um, so the next thing, you know, I think about Frank Gary. Um, and, and many other architects have, have, have done some amazing work that, that's iconic, that, um, you know, that's provocative. And, and you can tell that there's a, a, a real relationship between art and science. Like architecture at its best elevates the human experience and, and sort of carefully blends art and science. And I think Frank Gehry's work uh, is, is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about the power of design, I, I think about, um, you know, how architecture you know it, it really does sort of it's an indicator of the of the health of a place in, mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. and um you know you talked about 
uh, buildings getting torn down. I mean, that, that definitely was a, a part of the story and still continues to be so today in Detroit, my hometown. Um, and it makes me think of a, a, of a sort of well-known saying that the most sustainable building is the one that already exists. Mm. And, and that kind of um, reminds me to, to mention the, um, the AI's two key strategic priorities. One is climate action. And two is, uh, is is equity, specifically racial, ethnic, and gender equity. How do we make sure that we are uh, a more equitable profession so that we can actually uh, reflect the society that we serve? That you know that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I also think about uh, health disparities a lot because, um, as I mentioned, I wanted to be a doctor very early and then changed at eleven. So um, you know, in, in Chicago, where I live now. Um, on the north side of Chicago, the average life expectancy is about 90 years old. And on the south side of Chicago, which I think most people know is, is a predominantly black mm-hmm. uh, community, um, the average life expectancy is 60 years old. So there's a 30-year life expectancy gap mm-hmm. in, in Chicago. And, and we see those numbers all around, uh, all around the country. Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, um, blight as, a, as a, uh, another indicator of sort of a, a lack of health. And, you know, I, re- I really think it's important that, um, you know, cities and, and other types of, of uh, governmental organizations and philanthropic organizations work with the private sector to address these issues so that we can actually improve our health outcomes. And one of the things that I'm, I'm uh, looking to advance through the AI next year is creating a, a chief architect uh, program to actually help mayors identify architects that can be a key advisor oh, to help yeah. them think through, you know, their climate action solutions. Uh, you know, equity solutions as well as uh, health, health, uh, health equity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those are some of the things that come to mind when sure. I when I think about uh, architecture and the, the potential to elevate the human experience. And, and just one one quick story: I actually had an opportunity to serve um, on the Mayor's Institute of Design, um, sort of uh, a, a workshop to help uh, mayors understand the power of design in their own cities. They would present a, a case study, and then um, experts would would help advise them. And the mayor of Monroe, Louisiana, and this was a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and he's still mayor. His name is uh, Friday Ellis. So Mayor Friday Ellis said something I thought was brilliant. He said, see beautiful, feel beautiful. Mm. And I think we have to really uh, think about how our cities, our communities uh, are, are looking and, and how they actually help to contribute to the health of our people. When we come forward, our remaining moments with uh, Kimberly Dowdell, her thoughts on AI and what that means for the future of architecture. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Kimberly Dodell, I've enjoyed uh, celebrating you immensely in this hour. I've only got two minutes left. Uh, your thoughts right quick on the future of AI and architecture. It's impacting everything else in our world. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, architecture is right at the intersection of art and science. And I think it, it really takes a human touch to get architecture right. But I, I think that AI can, AI can be a tool that architects use to increase productivity and, and cut down on, on time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have to give credit to the, the AI staff. Um, for actually having, uh, you know, having a, a group of folks that are, are working on this, um, both on the staff side and on the volunteer leadership side. And also, I want to shout out our CEO, uh, Lakeisha Ann Woods, who's also a black woman. She just started in her role at AI as the first uh, black woman, actually first black uh, CEO of, mm. of the organization who keeps things going from year to year. Um, and so she's very focused on this issue, as well as our current president, Emily Grandstaff-Rice, who's been a, a mentor to me, and she'll be president for the next four weeks. And so 
as a group, the three of us, we talk about these issues and we think that uh, while there, there is certainly a threat because it's unknown, yeah. um, like many industries are, are, are navigating, we feel confident that the value that architects create cannot be replaced entirely by these tools, but the tools can actually, uh, in an ideal scenario, help us to really uh, propel our work forward in a significant way. And the 30 seconds I have left, I don't need to color this question much more than this, but in 30 seconds, what would you say uh, to black folk about their participation in the arts? Oh, I mean, I come from a family of artists. So I am 100% um, you know, in support of, of Black people expressing themselves and consuming arts. Um, you know, my older sister, Sabrina Nelson, is a profound uh, artist in Detroit, as is her, her son, Mario Moore, so look them both up. And, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the arts are, you know, they reflect our soul, they reflect our culture, and I think we have to invest in the arts. We have to make sure young people are getting that exposure and that, um, you know, people are being cultivated to create uh, you know, the, the world that we want to see. And I think architecture is a part of that. Kimberly Dowdell is the incoming president of the American Institute of Architects, the AIA, making her the first black woman to hold this uh, coveted and esteemed position. Kimberly, congratulations. All the best to you in the coming thank months you. and years. And thank you for the chance to talk to you today. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.